Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Locage. If the last time you went to Locage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Locage. It's going to be sick. Marinaro, Monday night, good to be with you on this uh, 20 of February. It is one minute past 10 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, the sick podcast brought to you in part by La Bit ATB. This one here is the 5.2% alcohol. So we showed you the 5% last week. This one here is the 5.2. Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bit ATB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit ATB, embrace your true nature. Also brought to you in part by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. Speaking of which, I'd like to give a shout out to Kevin Baudry, who I believe is the assistant manager over at Lacage Centre Belle. I was there on Friday before WWE SmackDown, and I was there on Saturday night before Elimination Chamber. So two nights in a row at Lacage. No complaints. Um, the wings as an entree, the pigs in a blanket, even the chicken tenders, which, by the way, is more of a main meal, but a hungry guy like myself, I have it as an entree. No comment, please. With a sauce, which tastes so good, but in the end, it's so easily made, but I could make it at home, and it wouldn't come out that way, but they make it there. It is basically 50% honey, 50% mustard. You mix it up. You dip the chicken tenders in there. Wow. Unbelievable. And brought to you in part by, speaking of unbelievable, Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, Driven to be different. Love that company. And I love my boys, Mike Cinquino and uh, Sean Gerard, because they do it with passion and energy. That's why. Speaking of energy, one guy who always brings it when he joins me. I haven't talked to Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette and Habs Inside Out in quite some time. And uh, he was on a couple of days ago with my buddy Matt O'Han on Friday night. But uh, I wanted to have a chance to talk to him. So I gave him a call. I said, Stu, can you join me tonight? And he said, yes. Now, just keep in mind that uh, Eric Engels is usually a regular contributor on Monday nights. And Eric couldn't make it tonight, but we're going to see if we can slot him in here sometime this week. And uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to talking to Stu. Stu, what's going on? You're making me hungry, Tony. 
Uh, really, eh? Uh, I'm hearing a little bit of static. Is it on my end or is it on your end? I'm not sure you sound fine to me. Okay. I'm hearing a little bit of static. If we can just hear from Agnello and Sammy, uh, and it looks like they're going to bring Stu back. So I guess it's not on my end. I guess it's on Stu's end. All right. Okay. Uh, good evening to everyone who's watching. We're going to figure it out. Good evening to everyone who's watching uh, on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter Live. And if you're watching on Facebook Live and on Twitter Live, and you're not watching on YouTube Live, if you can subscribe to our channel, it's absolutely free. And watch on YouTube Live. Hey, we're not going to spit at anyone watching on Twitter Live or Facebook Live, but we'd appreciate it if you watch on YouTube Live. Why? Because we want to grow our YouTube channel as much as we can, obviously. And um, and so that's why. Uh, and YouTube pays us. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Tony, your shirt is sick. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sportbuffshop.com. That's where you can find the sick attire, and you can order it there. Um, Robert says, yay, more free food. Um, I don't know what that means, Robert, because uh, I don't get free food. Uh, they pay for their advertising, and I pay for my food. It's a beautiful thing. So I go support those who support the sick podcast. That's the way it works. If you wanted to know, just ask. I'll give you the information. And um, and if it was free, well, then it's because I deserve it. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, great column by Eric, by the way, this coming in from Big Bill. Yes, Eric did have a great column today on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Basically, what he did was uh, he spoke with uh, Jeff Gordon, Executive Vice President of Hockey Ops by the, with the Montreal Canadiens uh, about a year ago. And uh, at that time, Gordon told Eric that he wanted to bring the Canadians basically from analog to digital and he wanted to remodernize the whole organization. It was a big task. So Eric revisited one year later to see what was done following that article. Quite a bit was done. I'm not going to get into it all that much because I figure since Eric wrote it, I might as well have Eric talk about it on the program. Stu is back. Stu, what's going on? I hope I'm sounding better now. Is that, uh, does that work? Yeah, you are sounding a lot better now. You're sounding a lot better. You even look better now than you did before. <laughs> Fix my hair for you. That's why. Hey, before we get into it, um, I, like everyone else, had a chance to see um, Mitch Garber um, on social media talk about um, wanting to keep the Montreal Gazette alive. Uh, we know it was announced some time ago, uh, post-media, that there were going to be uh, job cuts. And, um, um, you know, Mitch Garber stepped up and said, hey, uh, I don't want to be the guy who just sat back and watched this happen. Uh, our city, Montreal, losing our uh, local daily English newspaper. And uh, he wants to try and find a way. And he's sure that he can get some of his friends involved and some of his uh, business friends involved, uh, find a way uh, to keep the Gazette around. Uh, and to make it somewhat profitable. I know you had a chance to speak to him as well. Are there any updates, Stu? Is there anything you could tell us, or did I just miss the latest update? No, I haven't spoken with Mitch since all this uh, started. I did do a column and a Q&A story on him a couple of years ago when he became a minority owner of the Seattle Kraken. I know Mitch. I know him fairly well. I wouldn't call him a close friend, but we are friends. Um, you know, these are trying times for the newspaper business everywhere, including Post Media and including the Gazette. And it's nice to know that um, an influential businessman in Montreal uh, with a lot of money like Mitch um, is interested in the future of the Gazette and saving the future of the Gazette if it, if it comes to that point. So 
these are tough times right now, as I said, for the business. It's tough times for people at the Gazette. I mean, the news is out there. There's going to be layoffs coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, we don't know who's going to be gone as of yet. Um, we know it's out there now. Pat Hickey has voluntarily um, announced that he's going to uh, take a voluntary layoff to save a younger person's job, which anybody who knows Pat won't be surprised. He's got a heart of gold. Um, so it's trying times or we're going to see what happens moving forward, but it's definitely nice news to know that somebody like Mitch, who, uh, is a great guy. I mean, he's a man. He's just, he, he's the lot. When I did the interview with him, I knew Mitch probably you did also Tony before he, uh, became very wealthy through hard work and through the businesses he's had. And at yeah. the end of the interview, I said, I said, Mitch, you're the same guy now that I remember before you had all this financial success and he really is he hasn't uh, he's a, a smart hard-working uh, humble guy who has never forgotten where he came from and Montreal is he's, he's a proud Montrealer as he's told me he could live anywhere in the world he wants he chooses to live here and it's nice to know that someone like Mitch has a interest and a concern for the future of the Montreal Gazette. It's funny you say that I had this conversation with my cousin a couple of days ago and uh, we were talking about the lottery, and I don't know if you've heard my lottery story by now, uh, Stu, but I think I've told everyone. Have you heard my lottery story I by now? I don't think so. All right. I, you know, give or take, I don't know if it was five or six years ago, right? Time flies when you're having fun. My wife, and by the way, Eric Engels just sent me a note. So he had a previous engagement, but he sent me a note. It looks like he's going to make his way back, and he's probably going to join us in the next 15 minutes or so, okay? So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to have a nice three-way roundtable with Eric and Stu and myself. Uh, I don't know when it was, Stu, five or six years ago. My wife goes to the car wash. She washes the, the truck, and uh, she goes over to the cash to pay the uh, to pay for the car uh, wash, and uh, she plays an, an $8 ticket, Lotto Max. And um, number one comes out. Uh, second number comes out. Third number comes out. Fourth number comes out. Fifth number comes out. Six number comes out. Now there's seven numbers. And uh, the jackpot is $60 million. I repeat, $60 million. And you've got the first six numbers right. The first six numbers are right. And the seventh number comes out. And we have number 16. And number nine comes out. And every time I hear somebody talk about Henri Richard and Morris Richard, <laughs> I always think of my lotto ticket. Wow. We had Henry and Maurice came out. Wow. No one won. No one. Not wow. one person won the $60 million jackpot. Um, one person, I believe, won the uh, with the bonus, which was number 21, was $494,000. And 111 people, including my wife, went six for seven. 111 people and it paid five thousand seven hundred and twelve dollars my wife is still the happiest person in the world <laughs> and i am still in the biggest depression ever known to man <laughs> we're gonna do it five thousand seven hundred twelve dollars it didn't even pay for our credit card bill that month well you were number one number away tony you could have bought the gazette <laughs> uh you know what i i i, I would have loved to i would have loved to Stu. Um, I said this and I wasn't planning on going here, by the way. So, so, but let's entertain this conversation. I said this on French radio a couple of days ago and I, and I, you know what? I'm not scared to say it. Okay. 
And I, you know what? I'm probably going to tick off a couple of people along the way. I don't care. I really don't care. There's too much Montreal Canadiens talk in the media. On English radio, on French radio, in print, daily newspapers, websites, television, the sports media out of Quebec in general, in my opinion, there's way too much Montreal Canadian stock. I understand that Montreal is a Montreal Canadian city. It's a Canadian city first, it's a Canadian city second, and it's a Canadian city third. I understand all of that. I also understand that the Canadians help pay a lot of the bills. I understand that as well. But at the same time, to talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois for the last three months, who's still going to be under contract with his team until the end of June and likely is going to sign a one-year deal with them as RFA with Winnipeg and is still going to be a Winnipeg Jet for another year after that, to talk about him for a month and a half, like what are we doing here? You can't talk about him in six months or in a year from now? To talk about the Canadians' power play every day, to talk about whether you're going to trade Drouin or Dadanov or Monaghan every day, not for the last week, not for the last two, not for the last month, but for the last two months, maybe even the last three months. And I find what happens is because everyone's talking about the same stuff over and over and over again, people lose some interest. And that's why there's going to be maybe less papers sold. Maybe there's going to be less watches on television. Maybe there's going to be less views on podcasts. And there's going to be different sectors of the media, sports media in Quebec, that are going to be in trouble. Well, I think we had this discussion once before, Tony, but I think what would have less people watching sports channels or listening to uh podcasts or radio or reading the paper would be having less Canadian stuff because that's what people in this town care about that's what people want to talk about that's what people are interested in because we and, got them used to that still well yeah. we no we can track i mean at the gazette and any other website we can track who's reading what how much time they're spending on stories and trust me at the montreal gazette there's more interest in the montreal canadians than just about anything else in this city and i'm not just including sports i'm including news and business and everything else it's a city i mean i've said it's the city is a canadian city people love the canadians they love them 24 7 they love them whether they're winning they love them whether they're losing uh it's just the way the city is that's the same like in, in you know in green bay with the packers or other places where there's one sports team that dominates and in montreal the canadians dominate uh says uh bish boy steve tony you hate the habs which is really stupid comment bish boy steve because I've been working in the media for over 20 years, and it's thanks to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and uh, the talk that it generates and the money it generates and the fact that I had a job was probably because of them. So, A, that's a stupid comment. Now, to someone who says, um, um, but Tony, you don't have that much non-Canadians content? No, that was by design, because when we started off with the podcast, we wanted to build a community, and the community we wanted to build was a Montreal Canadiens community. We are but now. Tony, interrupted. Well, That's the same with all Montreal media. I mean, Montreal media is, it, you got to cover what people are interested in, right? And people in this city are interested in the Canadians, rightly or wrongly. That's the, that's just the way it is. I think I told you this story before. When I was a kid, my sister had no interest in hockey. My sister's five years older than me. She, my parents go out on a Saturday night. I could watch the first period of the hockey game, and she could watch the rest, and she would suffer, suffer through one period of hockey. 
now my sister doesn't miss a game. She watches all the games. She watches all the post-game shows. It's just the way it's a 24-7 show. As I've said, I've written columns at this before. The Canadians have become reality TV. It's become a reality TV show in Montreal. It's 24-7. It's all people talk about. You know, I get together with my buddies, uh, you know, over a beer or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's winter or summer. They're talking about the Canadians. And I'm sure a lot of your viewers out there, it's the same type of thing. It's just there's there's just so much interest in this team in this city and that's that's the way it is i mean we don't it's not like uh, toronto where they have the raptors and the blue jays and uh uh you know they got all the major sports in that city uh in montreal we have the canadians and then we have yeah. the alouettes and the impact which are minor pro sports leagues all right i, w- I want to talk about that for a second because uh and by the way uh, we wanted to dominate with, uh, we wanted to be, uh, you know, very relevant with Habs Talk, yes, on the podcast. We also had a plan. And so we started going full time five days a week, Monday to Friday. I think we started up pretty much in September. And the plan was for next September or maybe before to introduce another podcast or maybe two other podcasts. So stay tuned because there's news on that coming up maybe even sooner than you think. But Stu, granted everything you're saying, no problem. Everyone knows the Canadians are king. And when the Canadian season comes to an end on April 15, and we're going to talk about the Canadians for the rest of April, and we're going to talk about them for the rest of May, and then we're going to talk about them for the rest of June, Mm -hmm. and luckily the draft is going to come up anywhere between usually the third week of June, and then luckily free agency pops up you know, the 1st of July. But then after that, from mid-July, when they're not signing non-restricted free agents, and all of August, we talk about what? And then if you try to switch to talk about other topics, the problem is, is that the public is not going to be interested mm-hmm. because you've never pumped up any of those other sports or, you understand what I'm saying? Well, I don't think, I think you're giving too much credit to promote it. I don't think the reason that there's so much interest in the Canadians a lot of it has to do with every single game's on TV now. You know, when I was a kid, there was, you had Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, and you might have one other game during the week, maybe on a Wednesday night. A lot of the games weren't on TV. You never saw them. There was no 24-7 radio shows. There was no podcasts like yours. There was no hockey inside a website. And the city, as I said, as, as time has evolved and every game's on TV, Canadians players can't walk down the dome. How many, how many cities in North America – would the equipment manager for a pro sports team write a book that everybody's talking about? That just shows you, you know, that just shows you the, the this city. I mean, you know, the equipment manager of the Canadians writes a book and it's all everybody's talking about for a couple of weeks. And it's, it's yeah, just, yeah, I know. It's, but, it's, but hold the way on it a second. it's the way it I is. In the city. Perfect. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. But members of the media talked about that book for weeks. Mm-hmm. And people you read it. About, you could have talked about that book for two days and it would have been over. Well, and people read. Thing is, I mean, as I said, and I don't know. I think we. You said we had written only one story on it, but the TV networks are that they they see what the numbers are, what the ratings are, how many people are reading stuff, and if tons of people are reading about that book and interested in that book, well, then you're going to do another story on it. You're going to do another video on it. So it's the what what we cover is driven more by what people are interested in, than than the other way around. Perfect. So you know, a lot of people say that Montreal is an event city, right? It is. I mean, the Grand Prix. I mean, here's an example: the Grand Prix comes every summer i've covered it the last five or six years and before that when i was sports editor i was involved uh, in the planning of coverage for it and everything like that yeah people come to montreal the city's grand prix grand prix grand prix i bet you if you went to 
the circuit and you stood outside and you asked people coming into the track, can you name me five F1 drivers off the top of your head? I bet you more than half of the people there couldn't. They go there because it's an event. It's something to be seen. The tennis is an event. The NBA exhibition game that comes to Montreal is an event. Perfect. The Blue, Jays, me... the Blue Jays exhibition game, which they don't have anymore, was an event when it was here. So, but... so let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. How often do Montreal media talk about the Blue Jays? How often do they talk about tennis? How often do they talk about Well, when the, when the tennis they don't. Hold on a second. Yeah, when they come, they talk yeah. about it two weeks leading up to the event. So the WWE just came. It was a huge success in Montreal. Everyone interviewed the wrestlers two weeks before and a week before. They mm -hmm. built it up. But this way, you only have to do a little bit of prep work and prep for those two weeks of maybe talking to two or three wrestlers, and it's over and you don't have to talk about it again. But the, like I, I said, with all due respect, I think there's a lot of lazy journalism. No, the tennis and the F1, people are interested in F1 the week it comes here. The majority of people, the over 100,000 people at the racetrack, like I said, I bet you half of them couldn't name you five F1 drivers. And the tennis events, it's it's an event also that comes here. It's one week every summer. Weather's nice outside. It's nice to be outside. They have a nice facility up there at Jerry Park for the tennis. It's fun to go to. And then it moves on, and then uh, Canadians take the center stage again. So, so I used to happens? joke when the Expos were here. It was I sort of joked. When the Expos were here at the end and they were drawing like 5,000 fans a game, I used to say if the Canadians played a softball game with a big O, they would get more fans than the Expos. I was half joking because I think it would be true. What happens um, when um, the Canadians are terrible for three years in a row? Mm -hmm. What happens when the Canadians are terrible for three years in a row? If you don't talk about the other already. sport, well, people are going to, you know, it's, it's, we're going to, you're going to have to rely on a losing organization to give you enough material day in, day out. And I think, okay. I think our business is in trouble because of this. I disagree. I think the Canadians are keeping our business going in the city. Oh man. And, and okay. I'll throw a question back to you. If, if sure. we're not focusing on the Canadians, what would you focus on instead? You can't focus on much right now because people aren't used to it. But do you know that? No, well, if you were starting, if you were starting, okay. But do you know whatever, that? What would you okay. be focusing on okay. now? La last along, week, along with the Canadians. Okay, last week it was announced that Matko Miljevic, okay, who's supposed to be the heir apparent to Jordi Mihailovic, or is supposed to be the guy that's going to play his role. Okay, number ten, the most important role. And I had this conversation with my buddy Jeremy Filosa earlier today. And we, we're both on the same page. The most important role on a soccer team is the role of the number 10 or the number nine, the goal scorer, okay? But the number 10 is the architect of the whole offense, all right? The guy who's supposed to step up with Mihailovic being sold to a team out of the Netherlands, all right, got hurt in a preseason game. He's out for three months, all right? And you know who talked about it? Nobody. Mm -hmm. No one. Zilch. Uh not a, I need I need to look on the I think we had something probably in the Gazette website and I guarantee you it was not read by very many people. There's just not interest. There's, there's the interest isn't there. So and and most so, I, so what's what's I'll the future the, what's the future of sports teams in say, the city I, then? I bet you the majority like I was saying before the majority of much uh, uh, sports fans might not know five be able to name five F1 drivers at the Grand Prix. I, I, I think even less percentage of that of Montrealers would know who these soccer guys are. Once again, so so I'm going to tell you this. 
when uh, when I was when I was working sports radio, uh, what I said to the team was, um, "Bring me these players, get them in studio, and I want to help try to introduce them to the public." Right? You know where they were born, at what they yeah. just started playing soccer, where they grew up, when they fell in love with the game, who they looked up to, what their pathway was, and stuff like that. And I believe a lot of that work hasn't been done. And then it's hard to talk about players like this because a lot of teams. You're right. Well, the, the you, impact of what, their FC Montreal, whatever, they're their own worst enemy when it comes to stuff like that also. I mean, you're talking about in the summer trying to do different stuff. I think I might have spoken with you before about this on one of your podcasts. Um, when During the summer, I was doing before COVID, I was doing a My Montreal feature, which was taking athletes and just asking what they like most about Montreal. I did one with Georges Larac. Um, I, did a, I did a few. Anyway, I did one with Evan Bush, the impact goalkeeper at the time. Lived in Montreal year-round, out in the West Island. Met him at a coffee shop in the West Island with his wife and kids. Wrote a nice story about it. Uh, videos, the whole works. Uh, I asked the impact uh, after that to get a couple other want to do the coach, want to do somebody else. And said, oh, that's not possible. So, you know what I mean? So, that for, for them specifically, uh, they don't do themselves any favors when it comes to uh, drawing attention to their own team. Because they make you go to an impact practice, they bring out two guys. They stand there. Every single person talks to the same two guys. It's the same quotes, the same thing. And, you know, the coach doesn't speak the day of a game or the day before a game, I don't believe. Marty St. Louis speaks twice a day. So it's just, you know, and, and for that specific team, they're their own worst enemy when it comes uh, to, to – there's, there's, there's no doubt. They, they put it this way. They, they, need, they need media exposure more than the media needs them, to put it bluntly. And I don't think they realize that, that uh, – you know, so you go out. I did the nice thing on Evan Bush. It was a good story. It's still online if people want to search for it. And then you try and do another one, and you get roadblocks. So you say, you know what? We'll move on and do something else. Listen, I I, I don't know if they uh, I don't know if I agree with that, Stu. That they need the media exposure more than the media needs them. Let me explain. I, I totally get your point that if you put up articles regarding CF Montreal, you say you don't get the views. No. Uh, look, I I've seen my buddy Jeremy Filosa break a lot of CF Montreal stories. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, he gets more views and more retweets than a lot of people get talking about the same story with the Canadians too. Like that also works, but you know, CF Montreal, they have, they have very deep pockets. I know you know that. Yep. So if they don't get the media exposure, I mean, they're going to be around because the owners are in it for mm-hmm. the love of the game and to do it for the city. But if we're not going to talk about them once again, I, I Stu, um, the thing you got to realize too, Tony, you got to realize too how the media landscape has changed. When I was first sports editor of the Gazette, I think we had at least eight reporters. We had about a 12 page sports section. Wow. We had four guys who were just desk sports editors. So back then, if you go back then, we covered Randy Phillips, covered university sports. We covered Randy, covered soccer. We covered we all, all kinds of different stuff. The sports department now and Pat Lee's are going to be two people, myself and Herb Zerkowski. The sports section is smaller. We have smaller staff, smaller space, and it's the same everywhere. I mean, I see TVA laid off 140 people uh, recently. Mm-hmm. So as as the part, sports departments get smaller, and space gets uh, the newspapers that gets more limited. Um, one of my the former editors in chief of the Gazette when start stuff started to shrink in the newspaper business. He had a great line. He said, "The Gazette can't be everything to everyone anymore. We have to focus on what people are interested in, what people want to read." And from a sports perspective, that's the Canadians. And we have not, I mean, we have we have all kinds of analytical data now on, on the website on who reads what, who doesn't read what, as I mentioned, how much time they spend on a story, 
what kind of uh, interest it generates. And it's, I we could write ten impact stories a week, Tony, and I don't think it would change. Uh, but as once far again, as I, I I I really I really worry about sports in this city then if you're saying that you know what we write the articles on uh, the other team like on cf montreal nobody cares we write the article on mm-hmm. the montreal Alouettes, nobody cares and then what we're going to lose our soccer team we're going to lose our cfl team we're only going to have a, a hockey team in the city there's there's a sports radio station in the city that doesn't send a reporter to montreal Alouettes practices or cf montreal practices anymore do you, do you understand well it's not how, just how there's very few there's very few with it send people out to those practices now i mean that's that's just the reality of the business the way it is now i mean the gazette we still cover the alouettes uh herbs the best cfl reporter in the country of course as far as i'm concerned um we cover the alouettes we do the impact uh cover the games and whatnot but there's just there's people don't want to read impact stories seven days a week Tony. they don't i mean they cover the game story or do whatever it's, it's just i mean as I said, there's other, Montreal's not the only city in North America like this. There's other cities where one team just dominates, or even North America. As I mentioned, Green Bay before. In Green Bay, nobody cares about anything about the Packers. That's that's the team. In Montreal, it's the Canadians. And that's, as I said, the, the Canadians, when, if the Canadians had put a softball team at the Big O for a charity game when the Expos were in their last season here, I think they would have got more people than the Expos were getting. Uh, I hear you, but, uh, you know, we're talking about Montreal that does have a team in the CFL. They do have a team in the MLS. And I know that the MLS is not the biggest league in the world, but the MLS in many cities in the United States of America is bigger than the National Hockey League. Well, yeah, because hockey is not the number one sport there. That's, that'd be like, of course not. I mean, it's a, if yeah, whatever but I mean, the, is the, it, that's the, not the case. The that's MLS the is case. a much younger league than the National yeah, Hockey League. What what American cities are you talking about? Though that's you're not talking about uh, uh, New York, where the Yankees are, or the the no, I, I don't know what city you're talking about. With MLS would have have an MLS team and a hockey team where there's more interest in the soccer team. But uh, they're, they're, maybe a place like Columbus, maybe yeah. a place like uh, I'm trying to think of someone else off the top of my head, but uh, that's the one city I could think. I know Columbus built a new soccer stadium there. It's uh, yeah, uh, I think it seats about twenty five thousand. Let's let's bring in Eric Engels and we'll uh, we'll add him onto this discussion. Eric, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm in New. I'm in, as you can see, a very small hotel room here in New York. All right. But I'd ra- but I would rather be here than Newark, which I'll go to tomorrow, where the Canadians play the Devils. <laughs> and I, I had the pleasure of listening to you guys the last little while. And Stu and I have often discussed this, especially as it pertains to potentially bringing a baseball team back to Montreal, or whatever it is. Is that it won't work. It, as as Stu has said himself many times, actually, I quote him on this, it's not even a hockey town. It's a Montreal Canadiens town. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, people were aghast when they didn't sell out the World Juniors that were recently at the Bell Centre in Montreal and tickets were priced too high because they assumed that it's a hockey town here. But the hockey town is in Blainville, and it's in but, the po- deep pockets of Quebec. It's not here in Montreal. Eric, it's a Montreal Canadian town. How many junior hockey teams have failed in Montreal? I mean, the Montreal Juniors, yeah. Montreal Rocket. I mean, the Laval Rocket now with the arena in Laval and easy metro access is, and the fact that it's Canadian's prospects playing there. But it's again, that's affiliated and with it's Laval. That's sort of that's sort of like Canadian hockey. It's still Canadian. and it's Laval. It's Laval. It's from but Montreal. Eric, but, but Eric, hear me out, okay? When we talk about too much Canadian stock, listen to this. <clears throat> I love reading Stu writing an article. 
about Michael Matheson growing up on the West Island of Montreal and Stu writing about the fact, you know, uh, Michael's dad, obviously, you know, born here, living here, watching the Canadians as a youngster, dreaming of his kid to play for the Montreal Canadians. Boom, it's happened. And he is like, you know, the number one defenseman on this team. Beautiful story. I love reading your story, following up on your story of a year ago with Jeff Gordon and one year later and what happened and, and Adam Nicholas and the Canadians hired him full time and they added him to the practices and he's followed up on the development. And this is what he told Joshua Roy. I read both articles. OK, it's new to me. I love that. But talk of Jonathan Drouin, Sean Monaghan and Evgeny Dadanov getting traded every day for the last three months. I don't like that. <laughs> That that's that's I don't like that. I'm not that that hurts our but who's, business. But Tony, who's writing that every day for three months? Because I know with well, myself, we're trying to find different stories that other people don't have because there is so much coverage of the Canadians. And and that's what I love, Stu. I love finding stories that other people don't have. My rant is on you know talking about a player who belongs to the Winnipeg Jets, you know started this chat started two months ago guilty he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be under contract with them for like uh, till july and then he's gonna he's gonna sign another one-year deal if he's not traded you would think he'll sign another year deal he'll probably be a winnipeg jet for at least a year maybe a year and a half and eric you're probably guilty about talking about it once twice yeah this talk went on for months okay months. but you know what you're another team so you know what, but Eric, I'm sure I'm sure the reader and I'm, I mean I was telling Tony, I don't know if you heard this before we got on, just about how analytics and you know on the websites we can tell who read what, how much time they spent on it. I bet you those stories were incredibly well read. Yeah, for sure. Anything to do with Pierre Luc Dubois is going to be well read. Anything to do that's unique. Uh it may be an exhausted topic to your point, Tony, but there are different ways of discussing mm -hmm. it. And that that was the only reason I went there. A month ago but you know like just to give you a bit of insight because Stu and i are, are you know we compete with each other but at the end of the day we have similar audiences so it's not like we're it's not like i i'm sitting there tearing my hair out when when Stu writes something or uh, you know that's similar to what i have or whatever it you know at the end of the day the canadians are filled that we were talking about this recently like the canadians are filled with interesting guys who we like to talk to and honestly Stu does a lot more of the grunt work on the future stuff than I do. Um, it gets exhausting kind of sharing an opinion uh, on a daily basis on games that have the results have no bearing whatsoever. Um, you know, Stu's in the room every day with a notepad asking like a billion questions to get something unique to tell about these players. He's probably the hardest working guy on the entire beat. And um, you, you just, at the same time, is a, there's a really funny dynamic that's going on right now with the Canadians in that when you walk in their room, they have out of 20 guys on the team or 18 or whatever, however many 20 guys, whatever, like 18 of them are a complete pleasure to talk to. They are fantastic. Honestly, I can't think I can't isolate one and be like, wow, I hate speaking to this guy. There are some that are a bit quieter than the others. But the problem is, is that there's not much to <laughs> dig into in terms of a really interesting storyline with the guys who are there right now, they have half an NHL team dressed on a nightly basis. And like yeah. I said, the, the, the games, the results, they, they don't matter at all. So it's, yeah. it, it becomes pretty tough when you get to this stage of the season and I'm not making excuses for us. I think we all try to branch out. I, I read Stu's article today on Mike Matheson with his dad and all that stuff. It was, it was fantastic. 
Um, and I was, you know, the article that I released today was something that I had to work on for months to be able to, to be able to share that. I'm so happy it's off my plate right now, but honestly, like I'll, it'll be a struggle from here to the end of the season to come up with anything remotely as interesting. All right. Uh, and we're going to get to that article and just, but just to interrupt you for a second there, Tony, when you're talking about, you know, we're trying to find different story angles and different things. Yeah. When you go to a Canadian's practice, as I mentioned to you before, when you go to an FC Montreal practice, two guys come out or whatever, everybody there, whoever's there gets the same guy saying the same thing. The coach is That's a big problem. the day before a game. So That's if the coach problem. isn't available the day before the game, why would you go out? That that is that is a big problem. Instead of making two players available that most members of the media probably wouldn't want to talk to, you have to make every player available. They're not in a position uh, to um, to only give two players available. I will agree with you on and, that. And the coach it's not available not only the day before the, the coach Marty St. Louis is available the day before the game, the morning of the game, after the game. It's that's you know, Marty St. Louis was offered. Marty St. Louis was offered a day off when the Canadians were. That's right. at their worst and, and refused to take it. I mean, and, uh, and yeah. his, his line too, Eric, and you were both in that one was he says, I, I, you know, I speak with you guys when things are going well. I'm not going to hide from you guys when things are going bad. And the, right. He was, we all agreed that he could have the day off because it is, it's got to be a grind speaking, you know, every single day, twice on game days, give him a day off. He's like, no, I'm going to talk to you guys anyway. All right. Um, quick question. I want you to think about this one uh, before you answer, because um, it's it's an interesting question. So you take a look at the Canadians and what they're doing this year. Not that anyone expected them to make the playoffs, but um, if I would ask you, do they have a leadership problem? Yes or no? Stu, you'd say what? I'd say no. I, I don't. Eric? I think there's so many. There's just so many guys have been hurt. I mean, Nick Suzuki's a young captain, and they knew that when they gave him the C, which is why Gallagher and Edmondson remain assistant captains. They've both been hurt. They've been gone. Sean Monaghan's been gone. So they knew they were giving a young captain the C, and they surrounded him with veterans, but those veterans haven't been around. I'm not saying Nick Suzuki hasn't been a good leader, but it's been more difficult for him in his first year of a captaincy to not have these veteran guys around uh, to help him out a bit. But Nick Suzuki's respected by everybody in the room. He's yeah. a quiet leader. He's not the guy who gets up and speaks a lot but one of those guys when he does speak uh the players listen eric do the canadians yeah, have a leadership problem no i i agree with everything that Sue just said and it's really just a void created by the injuries you know you have one guy really and 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 everything on top of that for the coaching and management and all that but i would suggest that a lot of people put the wrong emphasis you know when it comes to the whole leadership question they they think about what it what it is through the media or this or that if you really want a proper sample of what the leadership is like on the Canadians, take a look at the culture that's taken shape within the team, right? Like this team, which shouldn't be able to beat anybody has won three of its last five games and lost the two exceptionally good teams and battle competed. You know, I was in Toronto for that game down five, one, the Canadians kept pushing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they just gave up and said, okay, this game's done. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. And that hasn't really happened. I, I could think of two games all season where their effort was substandard. And I think you have to credit leadership for things like that. And Nick Suzuki may not be the rah-rah, this or that, but he is the right person to be the captain of this team. And I think that's been proven in a very short sample. And he's only going to grow into the role more. And they could, the, the real answer to your question, Tony, is, with Edmondson absent and Gallagher absent for so much of the season and Monaghan on the sidelines and so many veteran guys out, 
you know, you can always have more. You can always have more than what they currently have. So, so I came across this earlier today uh, on Twitter, uh, and supposedly it's, it's Guy Boucher who said that he believes there's a leadership problem. That's what I read. And, and I say this, let's keep in mind that that team that went to the Stanley Cup final did not bring back uh, Eric Stahl. They didn't bring back Corey Perry. Shea Weber has unofficially retired. Uh, so has Carey Price. Ben Sherratt was traded. That's a huge leadership void. Now, in terms of the injuries, Michael Matheson's missed 61% of the season. Monaghan and Gallagher have missed 55% each. Drew has missed 41%. Edmondson, 30%. And David Savard, 23%. When a team is in a rebuilding phase, the general manager is not going to go out to acquire leadership or acquire players that are going to make this team better. So there could be less leadership now than there probably has been in a very, very long time. But it's nobody's fault, right? That's no, I mean, what, well, it's, it's nobody's fault. Tony, one of the reasons or one of the big reasons they gave Nick Suzuki the C as opposed to, let's say, Brendan Gallagher is because they want, I think they wanted some stability in the captaincy moving forward. And they wanted somebody who was going to be here through this rebuild from beginning to when they hopefully become a much better team three years down the road or however long it's going to take. And Nick Suzuki is that guy. He's the guy. They wanted a. They wanted a bridge to the youth also, right? Like yeah, that's he right. They wanted, closer exactly. in age they wanted, to a lot of the younger guys that are going to be there, right? So. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the reasons he got to see. And again, that's one of the reasons why Gallagher was made an assistant and Edmondson was made an assistant, to have some veterans around him to help him out. And just they've had so many injuries and so many key veteran players that Suzuki has been sort of left alone uh, in a leadership role. And again, that doesn't mean he hasn't, you know. And the leadership role on this team right now, the main leader of this team is Marty St. Louis. I mean, yeah. he's Eric's talking about how this team doesn't give up, how they keep fighting, how they keep going, uh, you know, beating Edmonton. Like, they had no business. That, that team had no business being on the ice against the Edmonton Oilers, and they beat them. Um, but this team hasn't given up, and they're still buying what Marty St. Louis is selling. So the main okay. leader on this team right now is Marty St. Louis. And on the, player, on the player side, I would give a little bit of credit to Josh Anderson, too. Here's a guy who's always accountable, who always stands up and, and says what needs to be said when, when it needs to be said. And he... Uh, you know, I know people want to see him go balls to the wall every single game, but the, the reality of being a player of his style doesn't enable you to do that over 82 games. Um, you know, he's trying out there. He'll break sure. down. Whether, whether he has the physical wherewithal to be able to do it every single night, yeah. I think it's fair to criticize him on that end. But, uh, you know, this is a guy, if you get to know Josh Anderson pretty well, I'm sure Stu would attest to it. He's he's a stand-up yeah. guy and, and a leader. A shout out to well, that goes back to last season, season, Eric, too, when – you know, after Dominic Ducharme, what turned out to be his last game, it was Josh Anderson who said, it's no fun coming to the rink anymore. Yeah. I mean, that. And that, to me, that was the final, like that was, I think when Jeff, the nail Gordon, in the coffin. When Jeff Gordon heard that, he went, okay, we got to do something now. We yeah, it was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, shout out, I was saying, to Playground, over 600 machines, poker tournaments, Playground, casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. And once again, we will get to Eric's article, and that's why I'm happy, really happy that Eric's on. I can't wait to get Stu's opinion on what's been going on, too, with that work in the last year that Jeff Gordon and the management team have been able to do. But before that, guys, no Doc, no Weidman. Uh, last year, the Canadians lost uh, 731 games man games lost i don't have the exact number this year i believe it's in the 500s and i believe it's like near it's like the worst in the league again it was the worst last year and if it's not the worst this year i'm sure it's in the bottom three guys um this doesn't whether 
whether it is the the team of the strength and conditioning or the sports therapists or the medical team, whether it is or it isn't on them, it's just it's a number I'd rather they they would rather not see, right? It just doesn't look good on anybody, correct? We well, I'm not. Say, uh, I we mean, they're they're unfortunate. All we want strength and conditioning. I don't think factors into it. We're not talking about you know ten guys out with groin injuries here. Like, okay, and, that's I, a good point. and I, I would even go as far to say that I don't even think there's a single one of them that has that type of injury. Mike Matheson had an abdominal strain and missed sixty one percent of the season, as you put it, and a reoccurring injury that happened, and, and you know. When that happens, it's hard to get out of that pattern. Mm-hmm. But you know, strength the, the guys that they hired in strength and conditioning are phenomenal. Like Dale is, is an unbelievable trainer. Um, you know, medical staff. I think there's a lot of questions less to do with the amount of injuries and more to do with the management of the injuries. And I, you know, I've taken my shots already. I wrote an article about how Cole Caulfield was allowed to play in a season that doesn't matter with you know having popped his shoulder out and popped it back in himself and, and gone through all the evaluations and whether they knew all the information or not before finally making their decision, they knew for a week and a half where he played five extra games and practiced four times and, and ended up with season ending surgery. And that to me is questionable. I, I can't say whether or not, cause I'm not behind the scenes as to whether or not the whole thing needs to be re- revamped and looked at, but there's no question it needs to be reevaluated. Like it needs to be heavily evaluated, which Kent Hughes said, you know, that happens every year and will happen again this year. I think they're definitely going to look at the procedures and the people that they have in place and whether or not they need to add in those departments or change in those departments. Strength and conditioning, I really, I'm sorry. Like, I can't really put it on those guys. We're not, Uh like I said, we're not talking about a bunch of guys with groin injuries here. No, with the injuries, I think the main concern, Tony, for the Canadian standpoint should be guys coming back too soon or guys coming back when they, they weren't ready I think of Sean Monaghan, like, have, you know, I remember being at the game in Calgary, he walked past the media room in a cast, played the game, and then when he did the interviews in the room after the game, he had the walking boot back on. Um, so, it, you know, he said it was an injury result of a sh- getting hit with a puck, so you figure he broke a bone in his foot. So why was he allowed to play so long? And it reminds me of when Shea Weber played through his broken foot. I think he played 25 games on a broken foot before he was shut down, which led to so many other injury issues. Brian, Brian Jonta, too, by the way. Remember Brian And, and now, you know, now we're seeing they're very secretive now about what's going on with Monaghan. Like, I'm wondering, like, has he has, has compensating for his foot screwed up his hips again? We don't know what's going on there. Uh, practice in Nashville uh, just before Christmas. Um, or just after Christmas, I can't remember which, but anyway, remember Brendan Gallagher at practice, he went down really hard in the corner. He was down on the ice for a good four or five minutes. Graham Ryanbank came out to take him to back. He went back to the bench. He sat on the bench for maybe five minutes and he went back and he finished practice. And I was standing beside Danny Dubé watching practice. I said to Danny Dubé, how many games until he's going to be out again? You know, like he's like, and, and when Gallagher was back on the ice in practice, People who don't get to see the Canes practice, Brendan Gallagher practices the same way he plays. He doesn't know how to do anything except go 100% even when it's yeah. in practice. And sure enough, yeah. two or three games later, he was out again. So you got to wonder. Well, you go, and you go before that, too, because he he came back, played in Washington, and got hurt yeah. in the game. He went heavily into the boards and came up limping. Yeah. Then at practice once again, and then... And, you know, he was wearing a brace on the road for a long time until all of a sudden it's a walking boot walking by us on, on a daily basis. 
you know, and Gallagher is an exception to the rule because, like, you know, you literally have to tie him to a chair mm-hmm. to get him to not play a hockey game. Um, but sometimes but yeah, medical I mean, staff has to do that, right, Eric? I mean, that's part of you have to yeah. tie him to a chair if you have to. And with Monaghan, okay, I understand you really want. Well, especially this that. season, especially this yeah. season where none of this stuff matters. Yeah. Like, like Monaghan yeah. really wanted to play that game in Calgary for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. So he played that game in Calgary, but I think he played another couple of games after that before he was shut down. Like, why? Like, okay, maybe he begged them, I really want to play in Calgary. I really want to play in Calgary. And especially with, like, they might have just lost the first-round draft pick for next year because of the way they handled this. I mean, if Monaghan continued to play and played the way he had, you figure he was probably might 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 have been worth the first-round draft pick at the trade deadline. Now, now I I can't see them getting anything because he's not going to play the next couple of games. There's only maybe, what, three more games left before the trade deadline. What's a team going to give up for a guy who's coming off two hip surgeries. Now he's had this foot issue. We don't know what's the issue right now. When uh, when um, Kent Hughes met with us at the mid-season point, he said that Monaghan was very close to returning. Something obviously it's happens. not happening. No, it's not happening. It's not happening, and, and, and now we're five games from the deadline. He's yeah. not even on the trip. So yeah. knock off two. The chances that he gets on the ice, no. I mean, he's not playing Saturday, so that's three yeah. because he won't practice with the team. Mm-hmm. It's You know what? Put all that aside because the Canadians already got a first round pick to take the guy. I feel terrible yeah. for him. I feel oh, yeah. so bad for Sean Monaghan. And they were successful in convincing him to stop. It just took too long. And I would say the same yeah. thing about Caulfield. They yeah. convinced him to stop and get surgery. It yeah. took too long. Like with a player who is so vital to your future. And I, I, I think I don't know the Canadians weren't happy about me when I with with me when I wrote about it. Um, and that's fine. Like they have the right to be upset when they get called out for of things, course. you know. But at, at the same time, like I'm sorry, like he's he's too important to the future and the season. Well, they could be matter. upset all they want, Eric. I mean, you're absolutely justified in writing it, and everyone watching it was thinking the same thing. What in the world is going on here? It's a lost season. You have a guy who's going to be a 40, 45, 50 goal scorer going forward for the next seven, eight years. Who's you know, you want to keep here for the longest time. Once again, it's a lost season. What are you doing putting him out there? So I think it's justified. And guys, I think in Monahan's case, you know, he's got a, a label of damaged goods, very unfortunately for him. Mm-hmm. I think we have to we have to maybe uh, welcome the idea that the Canadians probably signed him to a one-year deal. And they hope I, I, don't, I don't even think we could talk about that right now. Like right now, it's can this guy come back healthy and play hockey? Because unless he does... There's no one-year deal with the Canadians. There's no one deal, one-year no. deal with, with anybody, and that's knowing how well he played. And you talk about damaged goods and the reputation of damaged goods. You've got a couple of players. This is the worst news for Kent Hughes. That yeah. You've got a few players here in Montreal who, even if they're playing well, have the reputation of being damaged goods, and I'm not talking about physically. Who will objectively watch Jonathan Drouin's play and ad- admit that he's playing well and that could overcome, you know, whatever his reputation is around the league that, you know, for whatever reason he bails at times, or some people might have the perception that he's soft, like objectively Stu and I and yourself, Tony, we've watched all of his games this year. And to be honest, for the last two months, whenever he's been healthy, he's playing great hockey. Very is good. anybody going to, any, is anybody, is that going to overwhelm what his act, what the perception is of this player out there? And, and at $5.5 million cut in half, if, if you have a team that is searching, okay, like who's one guy we could add that could really help. He's yeah. really, he's really far down the list because mm-hmm. of that rep. And it's, it's a Mike Hoffman, like Kent Hughes is trying very hard to trade Mike Hoffman. It's not a secret at this point. Like he's going to try everything he can to move that player. 
is he going to be able to do it with one year left of 4.5 million bucks? I, I honestly, you know, the whole city should congratulate him if he gets it done. Like it's, yeah. It, and then Joel Edmondson, I mean, Joel Edmondson skated by himself after practice today, uh, very gingerly to use Danny Gallivan's old line. Uh, like he's damn, I mean, that back just keeps going out on him, right? I mean, yeah. They haven't said it's his back. At first they said it was a lower body injury. Then they said it was an upper body injury. So you got to figure it's a middle body injury, which is a back, right? So, uh, like he's there's another guy they thought they might get something for. I mean, Kent Hughes might not be able to do anything at the trade deadline. I think he'll, I think he'll be able to move Evgeny Dadnov, but again, he's another one of those guys who's low down the list. Yeah, he is a guy that some, some people might. Hey, if it's anything uh, great, you know, like yeah. if it's anything, yeah, it's great because they were able to move Shea Weber's deal, which would have put them in a really tough spot yeah. from a long term IR perspective. But mm-hmm. you know, you think about one of the the major things that Kent Hughes would like to be able to do, knowing that Hoffman will be really extremely almost impossible to move, that Drouin is unlikely, that Dadnov might move for a really slim return, that Monaghan and Edmonton are probably staying put. What he'd like to be able to do is become a third-party broker for some teams out there that are trying to alleviate themselves of the cap situation, and even that will be challenging if Brendan yeah. Gallagher is coming back and Caden Gooley is coming back. and you know, So like he's in a spot where I think the fans – are more informed than ever before because we've had nothing much. Like you mentioned off the top, we haven't had that much more to talk about other than these things over the last couple of weeks. They'll understand if he comes out pretty empty after trade deadline, but it's not where he hoped he'd be. The good news for you, Tony, since you've been asking for it to happen all year, is they're going to lose a lot of games from here to the end of the season because look at their schedule. It is tough as hell. I hear you. Uh, so uh, Edmondson and Monahan can't get on a matrixhomefitness.ca treadmill right now, but uh, some of the others definitely can. You can bring it home and discover a club-quality workout in the comfort of your own home. Visit matrixhomefitness.ca. Eric, it was about a year ago that you touched base with Jeff Gordon, VP of uh, Executive Vice President of Hockey Ops, Hockey Ops for the Montreal Canadiens, and he basically told you that when he was hired, he found that the Canadians were behind in many departments. Uh, many departments. They didn't have uh, a skills coach. They didn't have a skills team. In terms of analytics, they outsourced. They didn't have their own in-house that was full-time with them. Uh, he, he thought it was mind-boggling that on the road, the players were using DoorDash and Uber Eats and all that stuff. So there was a lot of work to be done. About a year later, you checked back with Jeff Gordon for those who didn't read your article, and and I urge them to do so, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, uh, what did you come up with? Yeah, um, look, you know, I knew the minute that I wrote that article a year ago that there would have to be a follow-up on it this year, right? Like, how far have they come within that year and all these different departments that they needed to address? And I think the pandemic was a was a very viable excuse for some of the things we saw. So we talk about Uber Eats, DoorDash on the road, or bag lunches at the you know at the practice facility. They were under severe restrictions. They were the only team that was essentially bubbled when they traveled to the United States. Those were factors, but still you have a hard time kind of understanding it when you're talking about the New York Yankees of hockey, as Kent Hughes referred to them in mm-hmm. deciding to take the job. You know that was some stuff that certainly turned a lot of heads when I wrote it a year ago. Um, you know, and, and part of that article is the main focus of that article was to say Jeff Gordon wasn't just brought here to rebuild the Montreal Canadiens team. He was brought here to rebuild the organization coming from his background with the New York Rangers and Boston Bruins, uh, two first class organizations, much like the Canadians had a re- reputation of being for a very long time. Um, 
I know a lot of people throw dirt on Mark Bergevin over this. Mark Bergevin was just a really sharp hockey guy, um, but he wasn't that type of organizational type um, culture and organization and, and bureaucracy and, and doing things in a modern way. He, he very much had a very limited circle of trust. It was very small. And by the end of it, it was, uh, it was a party of one practically, you know, like, there wasn't a lot of, it, it was a party of two, maybe with Scott Mellonby, like, but there wasn't a lot of people that he was so open with to be able to create the kind of collaborative environment that Jeff Gordon knew and Kent Hughes knew that they would need to build here. So the main takeaway from the follow-up piece, which came out today mm-hmm. is, the Canadians listened to their players. They they can't they didn't just think about what trades they were going to make to rebuild the team on the ice. They listened to the players on the feedback of what would make their lives easier in Montreal. They hired private chefs. They expanded the lounge area where players hang around more often. They they invested in development and analytics. And now you know, like we see every day at practice, there's six coaches on the ice. You know, that's a lot of individual attention that each player gets and and you see it now that's fantastic players, by the way there's there's a lot more players that stick around longer it, it's annoying for us because we're sitting there waiting for them but they stick around a lot longer on the ice practicing after even a 90 minute uh, 75 minute session the main takeaway for me the thing that i think canadian fans should be most encouraged about is jeff gordon and kent hughes took their time with the people that they were going to hire to expand in those different areas and they you know when he said to me a year ago, we don't even have a skills coach, which is standard across the NHL. They could have hired a guy to work on slap shots and, and one timers and skating and this and that. And Adam Nicholas certainly has those credentials. They hired a guy who's way ahead of the curve from a development standpoint that actually thinks like Marty St. Louis in terms of simulating game environment and, and everything he does is with an actual purpose a guy that can actually build out development plans for each and every one of his players in the organization and focuses on what are the strengths. Everybody thinks development is let's work on the weaknesses. He focuses on what the strength is of the player and then picks three specific kind of categories that that player can focus on in order to get to those strengths more often. And yes, they work on deficiencies also, but his team was expanded. He's been empowered. Re- reinforcing and mastering your strengths as well. And, and ana- analytics, they could have hired anybody. They hired Chris Boucher, a guy who's an absolute pioneer in the industry. So again, if you're the New York Yankees of hockey and you're going to live up to that reputation, you can't just hire anybody just to check a box. Boucher was with San Jose before the Canadians, correct? Yeah, for two yeah. years. So you should look, what you should be looking to do is be a leader in the space, uh, uh, people that look at this team and say, whoa, look what those guys are doing in development. Look what they're doing with analytics and look at how they're bringing it all together. And so, look, it's a it's a very positive spun um, article for the Canadians, no question about it. But at the same time, they deserve the credit for operating the way they did. And I think we had a pretty strong sense in getting to know Jeff Gordon a little bit and getting to know Kent Hughes a little bit and getting to know Marty St. Louis a little bit. They were guys that could be trusted to do the job the right way. And it, you know, my reporting, uh, you know, that was about four months of reporting and talking to just about everybody in the organization to make sure I had the facts, you know, shows that they've made a lot of really good decisions that creates the structure by which they can actually not only rebuild this team, but rebuild the organization and move forward in a very healthy way and get their goals accomplished, whether or not they win. Yeah, you know, so many things have to go right. Like Marty St. Louis always says, winning isn't loyal. You can do everything right, but it doesn't necessarily happen for you. Yeah, but it, but at least they're doing things the right way. Stuart, well, Derek, said, 
as Eric said earlier, I mean, him and I compete against each other in a way, but we appreciate each other's work. And Eric did a fantastic job on this story for people who haven't read it yet. One of the things that really jumped out at me, Eric, is he said they had no skills coach, which you know, he seemed to be, Gordon seemed to be shocked by that, right? He was like, that's like so many years ago that all these teams already had skills coaches on the Canes, didn't even have he was so He was so diplomatic a year ago when we spoke to, like yeah. Tony, what you said, like the way he actually said it himself is when I said, you know, you guys are way behind. He said like, the organization has a bit of an old school feel to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he didn't want to throw my first No, but he was thankful to have Caden Gooley and the guys yeah. that, you know, that there was a lot of good work done from a hockey yeah. perspective, but a lot the thing with Gordon too. and Hughes and, and St. Louis is that they're confident and they're secure guys. And I think there was a lot of insecurity with Mark Bergeron. I think that was one of his downfalls uh, as a GM and they work well together. And you can tell there was a lot of thought process went into everything that Jeff Gordon's done since he took over. And the other thing I found interesting, Eric, was he said, like, the group they have now, he's not in a rush to add to it because he want, they've brought in so many people now. Yeah. He wants these people to get used to working with each other and get rid and know each other well before they start bringing in more people. But he obviously he has a plan. He's going to bring in more people, but he's smart enough to realize he can't just you can't just throw a hundred people in a room and say, okay, figure it out. You, you know, you bring in a few, you find out who's the leaders, who's good, whatever. And then you listen to them about who maybe we should hire next, who we should bring in next. So it's a real thoughtful process that they've gone through. They know they're not in a rush. This is a rebuilding process. Uh, it's going to yeah. take time to, to fix uh, um, the problems from before, but they're on the right, whether it'll work or not. The thing is, the thing I like about this, these guys is that they're confident. They have a plan. They have a plan. To, they're going to stick to their plan. Yeah. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, well, then it doesn't work. And they'll bring in other people to do the jobs. If they're confident in what they're doing and they're sticking to their plan and they're going to follow it through. I want to, I have to go outside of this whole thing and just say, you know, beforehand, it's some real questions about Jeff Molson's leadership. I, I had some real questions. And I remember, you know, the day that he hired Jeff Gordon, all of us said to himself, he, you know, he did something genius here and circumvented the whole French thing because he'll Correct. hire a French GM and, and the GM will be the puppet of this guy. And as we all made our assumptions, you know, I remember Jeff that day said, you gave, you guys may not fully understand this now, but you will when, when this comes together, he put a lot of thought into this. And I think in, in doing it in hiring both Gordon and Hughes and having this kind of two headed monster and speaking quite earnestly about the fact that it is a two man job now, like it, it, there's just too much that goes into it for the exact reasons that I wrote my piece, right? Like it, you're not just rebuilding a hockey team. You are rebuilding an organization and bringing them into the 21st century. I think Jeff Molson had a vision and followed through on that vision and doing so really took his biggest steps as the leader and CEO of the Montreal Canadiens in his time that he's been involved with the team. I, I think this is a big evolution for him. And uh, you know, you're right, Eric, of, Eric. A lot of people yeah. didn't think he had it in him to make that kind of move because a lot of people saw it as going around the whole language issue, right? And finding a way to take a little bit of a, a, a detour around it. And it's, it's, and it's worked out to be a great decision because he was right. Montreal is a different market and the way Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes work together is absolutely awesome. We're wrapping up here. guys. I, I also want to understand for one second. I also wonder how much France Margaret Belanger is not a hockey person. She's the president of group say but she's yeah. a very smart woman, and I wonder how much advice or how much Jeff Molson has, is taking or maybe learning from her 
um, from a business standpoint also as far as some of these changes that are going on with the Canadians. Interesting points, Stu. Uh, the Matheson family is very happy. Yeah, they are. Well, it's, it's funny. Is uh, you know, Eric had uh, spoke with Mike after the game last Tuesday for the quote that was at the bottom of my column about he remembers what it was like being a little boy mm-hmm. sitting up at the seats at the Bell Center watching a game. And after I read the quotes, I decided to get a hold of uh, Mike's dad, Rod, to get his sort of take on his memories of what that was like. And I think anybody who's had anybody who has a son and brings them to a Canadians game when they're little and if the kid's playing hockey in the back of your mind, there's probably that little thought, boy, it would be so cool if my kid ever played in the NHL one day, never mind playing for the Canadians. And for the Matheson family, you're saying, are they happy? Not only is their son playing in the NHL, he's playing for the Canadians. And the general manager is a guy who was his agent from the time he was like 14 or 15 years old. It's just, it's right. Like it's like, it's, it's surreal. It's, I mean, that was the word he used. Like it's just to think all these things, for all these things to come together that way is, uh, and Matheson, his dad told me, he said, the first time he realized, I said, when did you realize that Mike might be good enough to play in the NHL one day? And he said, it was at a Bantam tournament in Eastern Townships and Phil LeCavalier, who worked for Kent or with Kent as an agent, came up to him and said, I want to talk to you about your son. And he was like, what? And that was the day. He went, and he said, since then, everything just went so quick. And now that was the kid from Point Claire playing for the Canadians. Yeah, it's a great story. It's, it's funny because when Michael was about 14 or 15, uh, and, and, uh, and I was working, uh, you know, I had my, uh, my radio show at the time. Well, we had a day, uh, at John Rennie high school, which was a day where they had an open house and they were, you know, we were talking to some of their athletes and some of their, 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 um, students in the sport program. Mm-hmm. So we were, we we're advertising, we we're publicizing the sport program that day. And the one athlete I interviewed was Michael Matheson, who played, mm-hmm. who was in the sport uh, program at John Rennie and he was probably 15 years old and I thought I was talking to like a 35 year old professor yeah. and like yeah. I went home and I'm like I, I hadn't even seen this kid play hockey and it didn't matter like I knew he was going to make it I, I mean I was talking to a guy who at age 15 conducted himself like a pro and uh, and I said to myself oh my god man god please let my kids talk like this when they're 15 and, uh, you know, they're 18 and they're 20. And they Not much has changed. But well, I still, Eric, Eric, as Eric will say, this is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet in sports. Yeah. Such a good dude. And I honestly see so many similarities to the guy he was traded for. Like, when Petrie came here, he took off. I hope it doesn't end the same way for Matheson in Montreal because that, you know, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody who has to play in this market. That was a really tough year that Jeff Petrie went through here. But, man, like, you think about how defensemen mature at a later age and come into their own, and honestly, what we're seeing from Mike Matheson of late now that he's finally healthy and bringing it, like, he could be a part of the future of this team. He's here for for a couple more years under contract, but yeah, he, he can really be – he can, he can, he, he, these might be, the Canadians might have his best years right now, given what he's playing. Yeah. His, Matheson's wife's very happy to be here too. She's, that's, uh, well, she's, from, you know, from, she's from Buffalo and her, her step parent, her parent, the grandparents of their young son are on the West Island. So it's, they've got a pretty nice setup here. I'll, very take, happy I'll, take a, I'll take it a step further. When his career is over, if he wants to, you, you know, remain in Montreal and live here, he can work for the Montreal Canadians because he's oh, just, yeah. he's, he's, he's bright. He knows 
the game. He knows how to manage people. He knows how to treat people. He just, he gets it, period. And well, the other thing that was interesting, the quote that he gave Eric was he said he wanted to say to the fans when he was the first star after the game against yeah. the Islanders that, you know, I was one of you. And he wasn't confident enough in his French. And his French is outstanding. I mean, his parents sent him to French, not French immersion school, but the French elementary school. And he hasn't yeah. lost any. I mean, his French is really, really good. But I guess he's still not as confident maybe in his vocabulary or whatever. Nah, he's doing. Don't worry don't worry about it, Mikey. If Eric Engels can work sports radio and Tony Marinaro can work sports radio in French, <laughs> yeah. you can too. Hey, in ending, guys, in 30 seconds, I saw this on Twitter. Let's bring it up. How about this for a goal song for the Montreal Canadiens? Did you see it? That is the entrance song for Montreal going Sammy Zane. Ooh, there you see him wearing the t-shirt, honorary hat. And uh, can we take a look at the tweet? And yellow, if we bring up the tweet, I think it's NHL on Reddit. I think it's NHL on Reddit that had it. Hey, let me just, uh, I want to give them credit where credit is due. Uh, let me just see here. Uh it Habs is on Reddit. Habs on Reddit. Pardon me. Habs on Reddit. Okay. Uh, what do you think? I love it. Why not? Hey, anything's, why not? Any, anything's better than the Leaf School song. Stu, oh. you like I'm it? a country. I, I'm a country music fan. I like when they play "Take Me Home, Country Road" at the Bell Center. Everybody sings along. That would be my choice. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's why you love Nashville so much. Uh, you're a country. Uh, music why, you don't have you don't have to like country music to like Nashville. Trust me. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> I, you know what? I've never been, but I know that the um, uh, what is it? The NHL drafts there this summer, right? It is. It is. Yeah. I think you should. I think you should bring the thick podcast down to Nashville for the NHL. Uh, you know draft. what? It's, Nashville it's is a, Nashville is an awesome place. You better. So you better fun. practice. Uh, you better practice your beer drinking though, Tony. Uh, I'm going to practice right now. All right. Yeah. Um, listen. Thanks, guys. This was really enjoyable. At one point on YouTube Live alone, we had over 500 people. So I know it wasn't enjoy only enjoyable for me. It was enjoyable for everyone. Thanks, guys. All right, Tony. See you, Eric. All right, there you have it. Stu Cowan and Eric Engels, and they went overtime. Guys, I really appreciate it, all right? I really, really appreciate it. I mean, Stu was there from the beginning, so he went over like an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it was. And I appreciate all of you watching. So if you liked what you just saw, hit the like button, message sick, S-I-C-K. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, comment sick and hit the like button. If you're going to be watching or listening, pardon me, on Google, Apple, or Spotify, Leave us a five-star review. Um, I got a review earlier today. It wasn't good. It really, really wasn't good. Uh, somebody said that I was uh, talking about my hair or my looks, and then they, hold on a second, um, started with nothing, and when Tony Trumpanaro started, don't know where that came from, started talking about his body hair, uh, I tuned uh, somewhere else. Uh, bye bye. And uh, that one there kind of broke my heart uh, because it seems to me, I think we got a pretty good podcast. And if you would agree, I want you to message sick right now on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter Live. Can I see about 106? Sick, 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 sick. Sick, 
Sick, sick, sick, sick. They're coming in. They're coming in. Okay, it's working. Thank you. Now, I can go to bed. I feel so much better now. Thanks, everyone, for watching. You are all the best. You are a sick community. You are sick fans. You are a sick army. And I can't do it without you. Tell your friends about it. Felicità. Senti nell'aria c'è già la nostra canzone d'amore che va. This is a good ending to the show. Tell your friends about it. Hey, who is that guy? They're going to ask you. That guy. <laughs> that guy. Who are you? Who am I? I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you. 